Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. We're going to look at a different place in your Bible today, Malachi chapter 4. Now, let me help you out a little bit if you're not familiar. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, so uh, the easiest way to find it is to find the First book in the New Testament, which is Matthew, and go left a page. And so if you find Matthew, go left about a page, you'll be in Malachi chapter 4. I started a sermon series in December entitled, The Night Before Christmas, Why the World Needed a Savior. And so we've looked, in, we've looked at the fall of man in Genesis 3. We've looked at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And today, I want us to look at this uh, Bible verse in uh, two verses in Matthew uh, Malachi chapter four, what we've been talking about is that AD one was the year Christ was born. And that was kind of the line of demarcation, even for all of history, that the year before Christ was BC one and the year of Christ was AD one. It means in the year of our Lord. And there's a reason that Christmas is the kind of the line in the sand in history because the world in BC was in desperate need of a savior. And so we can look at why the world was in desperate need of a Savior and see today why we are in desperate need of a Savior as well. And so I want to talk about this today. I want to preach on this subject, when God goes quiet. And we'll read in just a moment. Just find it, and we'll get there in just a moment. Hey, last year on iTunes charts, uh, one of the top hits, it made it into iTunes Top 50. As a matter of fact, it was downloaded, uh, it was bought about a million times. Hundreds of thousands of people bought a song, and the title of the song was A, 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 Very Good Song. A, 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 Very Good Song. And and I thought I'd describe the song to you, but I thought it'd be better just for me to let you listen. So guys, get ready. Here we go. That's it. It was 10 minutes of nothing but silence. And people paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. I feel so dumb. (laughs) For a song that was 10 minutes of silence. In 2017, it made it into iTunes Top 50, and people began to wonder, why does the song, why is it so popular? And here's what they surmise, is that because it has the title, the first five words of the song are A-A-A-A-A, very good song. When you get in your car, if your car connects to Bluetooth, you know what happens. Your car connects to Bluetooth, and it automatically starts playing your playlist, and it starts oftentimes with the very first song in your song library, especially if you use an iPhone. And so it'll start with whatever song is first. And so if the song is entitled A, 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 very good song, it's probably going to be first unless you have a song entitled A, 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 very good song, which I doubt you do. 
Then this song is going to start playing first. And here's what they discovered is that people, when they first get in the car and start driving, they may want to listen to music, but they don't want to listen to music while they're backing out of their garage or while they're pulling out onto the interstate. They want a few minutes of silence just so they can get their wits about them because sometimes silence is a good thing. Sometimes we want total silence. But more than that, sometimes we need total silence. In 2013, there was a study done on mice, and it was published in the Brain uh, magazine called Brain Structure and Function. And they studied the effects of, of, of silence on mice, and they didn't, they actually, they weren't studying silence. They were studying the effects of noise, but here's what they discovered, that when, when mice had two hours of uninterrupted silence, their brains in the hippocampus part of their brain, which is the part which controls emotions, memory, and learning, the, the cells started to reproduce themselves in that part of your brain. The brain started to re-energize itself when it got periods of silence. In 2004, they did a study and determined that when infants are exposed to continuous loud noises, it, it, are, it raises their blood pressure and causes tension hormones to be released in their lives, bad ones. But when infants were exposed to uh, uh, just a small period of silence, their blood pressure dropped and the tension hormones went away. And so they did another study that found that when humans listen, adults listen to two minutes of silence. Even over relaxing music that their blood pressure normalized and blood circulation in the brain increased. And so what they discovered is if you can just get silent, we live in a day and age when if you can just get silence, the old, the old axiom is true. What is it? Silence is golden. golden. Denny, your mic's on. Like yeah, well, I mean, if you want to help me preach, it's great, but I mean... <laughs> It a little bit up here sounded like the voice of God up here a little bit, so um, it freaked me out just a little bit. <laughs> I just don't want you to disagree with me during the sermon. It could get awkward, so. What we determined is the old axiom is true. Silence is gold. Now, the day and age in which we live, we, we never have silence in our lives. And silence is beneficial. Silence is golden. Unless, unless that silence is coming from heaven. And that's exactly what we learned in the Christmas story, that the night before Christmas, God has gone offline. God has gone quiet. And the world is waiting on a word from heaven. So I want you to stand with me as we read God's word and we're going to do something a little odd today. I'm actually preaching on parts of the Bible that don't exist. There are no Bible verses during the silent years of God. And so what we're going to do is here in the beginning, we're going to read the last word from God before he goes offline for 400 years. It's in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And here's what he said. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Those are the closing words of God before he lapses into 400 years of of silence. Before God goes quiet for 400 years, those are the last words of God. We might even call it this. Those are the words of God before he signs off. We're familiar with sign-offs. For example, how many of you are, 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 at least my age or older, you remember when you used to get all the news from the evening news. You remember those days when that was the only thing that, that uh, you know, you'd find out about? And we got used to broadcasters who would sign off. For example, does anybody remember what Edward R. Murrow signed off with in the 50s? Good night and good luck. After he went off the scene on CBS, Walter Cronkite took over, and he was there in the 60s, 70s, all the way up to 81. Does anybody remember what Walter Cronkite signed off with? And that's the way it is. And the most famous sign-off of all time was Paul Harvey, who was on the news for 75 years, on the radio for 75 years. And Paul Harvey had his iconic sign-off. Do you know what it was? You missed it. And the early service got it right, by the way, just so you know. I I wanted you to say the rest of the story, but that was not his sign-off. Does anybody know what it was? Good day. Good day. And God comes off the scene in Malachi chapter four and he signs off with a prophecy about a prophet, with a prophecy about repentance, with a prophecy about a curse. If you don't repent and then there are 400 years of silence. Now, no, this is not the only 400 years of silence in the Bible. As a matter of fact, before, if you know the Old Testament, before Moses uh, delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, there had been 400 years of silence before God brought a deliverer on the scene. And now we're coming up into the deliverer in Matthew, and there are 400 years of silence. That does not mean there was not heavenly activity. That does not mean God wasn't answering prayers. That does not mean that God wasn't busy being God. God was not on vacation. God was not on the beach in Panama City taking it easy. God was just quiet. And can I say it's one thing for God to be quiet in the Old Testament for 400 years. It's one thing for God to be quiet in the B.C. for 400 years. But it's a total different thing when God goes quiet in my life or when God goes quiet in your life. Because I'll be honest, you surely have had those times in your life when you have felt like God has gone silent on you. Those times in your life where your prayers are not being answered. Those times in your life where heaven has been closed up for you. Those times in your life when you do not have any direction from God whatsoever. Those times in your life when you feel like God is unconcerned with the tension and the stress and the problems that are going on in your life. When God has gone off your line in your life and when you feel like that in your life. Hey, I don't care about Malachi. I don't care about Moses. I don't care about Matthew. I'm worried about me. Why is God quiet in my life? And by the time Christmas rolled around in AD 1, we desperately needed a word from God because it had been 400 years, four centuries without a word from God. Now, put that in perspective. Can you you imagine 400 years ago? 400 years ago, Galileo was just proving that the planets revolved around the sun. 400 years ago, uh, the Dutch bought Manhattan, New York, New York for $24. 400 years ago, the Taj Mahal was just being built in India. 400 years ago, Pocahontas married John Rolfe. 400 years ago, about 400 years ago, the Mayflower Compact was signed. That's 400 years. But for us, we're not worried about 400 years. 
We're not worried about 40 years. We're, we're probably not even worried about four years. We're worried about it's been four months, it's been four days, it's been four hours since I've heard from God, and I need God to hear me desperately. What does it mean when heaven is silent? What does it mean when God has gone quiet? I want us to look at the 400 years here, and I want to talk about it. And there's some things we can infer from the scriptures that tell us about the 400 years and what it meant for Christmas and what it can mean in our life. So if you're taking notes, jot these down. Number one, I want you to know this. Quiet can be a time of preparation. Now, the silence did not mean that there was no heavenly activity. As a matter of fact, there's a whole lot of activity going on in the world during this time, a whole lot. So the Medo-Persian Empire had been ruling for a while, and they were allowing the Jews to go back to Israel, which was a big thing. Israel fell to the Greeks, and just some 10 or 11 years later, Israel fell to the Egyptians. During that 400 years, the Greeks translated the Old Testament into the Greek language, which was important. We still use that document today. It's called the Septuagint, and that was a document the Jews used. It's a document we still use today. During that 400 years, Rome took over Israel during that time, and Rome stayed in power all the way through the New Testament period. During those 400 years, the temple was used and was being rebuilt, and then local synagogues, which was something new, had sprung up all around the land. During those 400 years, religious systems and practices were put into place. During those 400 years, the Maccabees revolted against a ruler called Antiochus, and and they rebelled and won their religious rights and freedoms back from the state. Antiochus had been a, a terrible, terrible human being. He had went into the temple and sacrificed a pig on the temple and declared himself to be God. It was the ultimate insult to the Jews. And so the Maccabees revolted and they, they won back their empire and they, they got it back and they were able to worship freely. All of that and more was going on during that time. And all that was happening that even though we don't have a prophet from God, even though we don't have a word from God, even though heaven was silent, all that was happening and it was getting the world ready for a savior. It was getting the world prepared for Christmas. We don't have a book during that time that that is scripture. We don't have a prophet during that time that we recognize. But what we have is everybody's getting the world ready. God is getting the world ready for Savior. So much so that in Galatians chapter 4, we find these two verses. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice what he says. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. In other words, when the world had been perfectly prepared for the Messiah, Christmas came. Quiet didn't mean absence. It teaches us that sometimes it may mean preparation. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. The same thing is true in your life, that if God is quiet, it may mean that he is preparing you for something bigger just around the corner. It may mean, I know know you're like me. I want to hear from God. I want God to answer my prayers, and I want him to answer those loudly. I want God to give me direction, but it could be, it just might be that there is something big going to happen in your life and God is preparing the world for the next step of your life because sometimes he is so quiet so he can get ready for what lies ahead. Quiet can be a time of preparation. 
I turned 50 this year. And I know it's hard to believe. I'll show you my driver's license if you don't believe me. I know, I know it's, I, I had to prove that all the time. I know it's weird. And, but I, I turned 50 and um, my family surprised me. I'd been telling my wife all along, I'm like, hey, I don't, I don't want to party. I'm not the party kind of guy. I don't want parties and, and just to do something quiet at home. But here's what they did. I got home one night from something at church. I don't re- remember what it was, but it was, it was about 1130 at night. And um, they FaceTimed my daughter who lives in Atlanta and they said, here's, here, here's what we're doing. We're not telling you what we're doing, but you have to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning and go to the Atlanta airport and we're all catching a plane. And when we got to the Atlanta airport, uh, zoom in on that just a little bit, guys. Well, what they did was they took me to a Cubs game in April and uh, for my 50th birthday. And th- back then it was five of us. There's six of us now. And, and we, have a, we have our first, I don't know if you know this or not, we have our first grandchild on the way. So we're really excited about that. And uh, I don't think I've mentioned that before. But uh, so there's seven of us. But there's five of us then. We were at the ball game and they had this little poster made. Sherry did, 50th All-Star. That Sherry even called ahead and they got my name on the Wrigley sign. Big deal. But I didn't know it. Like I didn't know what was happening. And so I didn't know until we got to the airport the next morning that they, they unrolled this poster for me. And in the airport, while we were waiting to go through security, they told me we're going to a Cubs game. And we went to Chicago and we ate at Lou Malati's Pizza and we got hot dogs and we went to the game. It was so cold and so much fun that day. But I should have known something was up because they weren't talking about my birthday at all. And we celebrate everything at our house. Josh can testify. I don't know what you got from Groundhog Day, but we get good presents on Groundhog Day. I don't know what you get. We celebrate everything at our house. And we were coming up on my 50th birthday, and it was barely being mentioned. And I should have known that the quiet was an indication that something was going on in my house. It was a dead giveaway that they were up to something. Can I say to you that it could be in your life that God is up to something in your life when heaven goes quiet because it could be a big opportunity. It could be a chance to make a difference. It could be a place to serve. It could be a person to impact. It could, listen, listen, it could be a season to endure. What do we call it? The quiet before the storm. You say, preacher, what do I do if God is getting, if, if this quiet time from heaven is a time of preparation, what do I do? Get this, if, you, if you're going to write anything down today, write this down. Don't treat the quiet time as downtime. Treat it as preparation time for what God has ahead in your life. That is, when, when heaven goes quiet, is not the time to pull away from God. When heaven goes silent, is not the time to get away from God. That's the time to walk with God. That's the time to get close to God because if Christmas tells us that big things can be around the corner from the quietest times in your life. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know. Maybe you're not having your prayers answered. Maybe you're not filling it with God. Maybe it feels like heaven is closed up. Listen, I don't use that time to wander away from God. Use it to prepare and get close to God is you never know what God's going to do in your life. You never know what thing he is going to launch. You never know what person you're going to have a chance to impact in your life. And quietness, Christmas tells us, could be a time of preparation. But number two, quiet can also be a time of condemnation. Can I tell you this? There was a lot going on during the 400 years, but all of it was not good. The nation of Israel was wandering back and forth from God, back and forth. 
And hear this, by the time Jesus was born, rituals and rules had replaced repentance and relationship. By the time Christmas is here, rituals and rules had replaced repentance and relationship. They no longer were worshiping God. They were checking things off a list. They were checking things off a box. And they were no longer walking with God. And so they no longer had a relationship with God. They no longer had repentance in their heart. They felt as if they just checked things off the box and everything was fine. And they'd wandered away from God. And Jesus, God predicted it. That's why he sent that verse in Malachi chapter 4. He said, John the Baptist is going to come that, uh, with the spirit of Elijah and he's going to prepare the way and he's going to preach repentance. And that's what Jesus said in that last verse in the Old Testament. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest he come and strike the earth with a curse. The silence of heaven was partly because of their sin. And today, listen, I want you to understand this, that sometimes that happens in your life and my life as well, that our rebellion, our walking away from God, our sin can shut up the windows of heaven. And God goes quiet because he's trying to get your attention. God is going quiet because he's trying to get you to look up. And sometimes God will let his silence speak more than his words. If you've been married more than a minute, you understand that philosophy, right? Right? Sometimes, sometimes... You miss the yelling and screaming. You know what I'm saying? Heard about a couple, man. They've been to fight, been married for a good long time. They got in a knockdown drag out. I mean, they got in a humdinger. This was the this was the fight to end all fight. I mean, they were just going at each other, and finally they ended the fight. It wasn't settled, and so both of them decided to give the other one the silent treatment, and it went on for a week. They had not said a word to each other in a week. They were living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed, and had not said a word to each other. But the husband had a problem a week into it. He had to catch a plane the next morning and had to get up at 5 a.m. in order to get the plane to a business trip. And the business trip was very important. And he needed his wife's help to make sure he got up. And so he said, I'm not going to break the silence, though. So he wrote on a piece of paper. He said, please wake me up at 5 a.m. And while she was in brushing her teeth, he laid it over on her side of the bed. And then he rolled over and went to sleep. The next morning, he woke up at 9 a.m. House was empty, wife gone to work. He had missed his plane, maybe lost his job, and he was furious. He rolled over out of bed, and he was about to just call her and let her have it. But as he's rolling over out of bed, he looked, and right where he had laid the note the night before, there was another note, and it said, it's 5 a.m., time to get up. Hey, silence can send a message, amen? Silence can, silence can get a word out. And sometimes silence is just that. Look at what God said in Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. It is a fact that God was sometimes silent because of the sin in our life. And today, I don't know what may be going in our life, but here's what I do know. You need God. And if you aren't hearing a word from heaven, if you aren't having your prayers answered, if you don't have guidance and comforts from the Lord, it may be time to do an inventory and find out what's standing in the way. What sin is standing between you and hearing from heaven? What rebellion, what attitude, what bitterness, what relationship, what habit, what addiction, what lack of forgiveness? 
The list can go on and on and on, but it can all cause the silence of heaven. Can I say to you, silence can be a condemnation, and it's a great opportunity when you're not hearing from God, and you don't hear your prayers answered, and you don't feel the guidance of the Lord in your life to stop and do an inventory and ask God, search me, oh God, because can I tell you, you need God more than you need that sin, and you need God more than you need that habit, and you need God more than you need that addiction, and if God has cut heaven off, stop. Stop and say, Could it be something in me? Because silence can be a time of condemnation. I'm sure the third thing Christmas teaches us, and that is quiet can be a time of anticipation. There's 400 years of silence. And then we have this verse. This is beautiful. Matthew 1.1. The last thing we heard was repentance and a curse, and then Matthew 1.1 opens up 400 years later, and it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In one verse, after 400 years of silence, in one verse, we went from, from despair to deliverance in one verse, in one verse, 400 years of silence were gone. And in one verse, we understand that that 400 years of silence was meant to create an anticipation in our heart. It was meant to create an expectation in our heart. It worked for some. The Bible says the wise men came from the east looking for the Messiah, the one that was born, the king of the Jews. And after 400 years, there was a huge portion of the world that was longing for a word from God. They were longing for a word from heaven. They were longing for a savior. And after 400 years, God sends it. The same thing that happened with Moses. After 400 years, God sent a deliverer. And the quiet years were used to get them thirsty to hear a word from heaven. The silence made them long for heaven. The, the, God being absent made so many long for his presence even more. And it may be that in your life that God is quiet to get you thirsty for him. Listen, God wants you to want a word from heaven. God wants you to want a relationship with him. God wants you to want a revival in your heart. God wants you to long for a fresh word from God. So when you've walked with the Lord and then you've wandered away from God and you've not heard from heaven, God wants you to anticipate and expect and long for the heavens to be open and God to be in your life in relationship once again. You remember being a kid and on Halloween night, if you went trick-or-treating, if you got to do that, we did, and you'd, you'd go to the neighbor's house and you'd get a bucket or bag fulls of candy. You'd bring it home that night and your parents wouldn't let you eat, hopefully, all the candy in one night. It'd be too much candy. And so that you'd snuck more than you were supposed to sneak and, and you'd ate more sugar than you should eat and your parents would come home and, and they'd say, look, we're going to put this up and you can eat it a little bit over time. And you know what you did when you were a kid? You went to bed dreaming about the candy. You remember that? You, you went to bed remembering the next morning shoving your pockets full of candy going to school and you were going to put it in your lunchbox and your duffel bag and you're going to hide it in books and you're going to throw the apples away and keep the Snickers and the Reese's. Remember that? You, you, you had it all planned out. I mean, you, 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 you were on this candy rush, this sugar rush. You're on a candy high, and man, you thought about it. You couldn't hardly sleep because you're thinking all night long, this one time a year, I get to indulge myself in candy. 
and you anticipated and you expected all night long, what would you have done if you woke up the next morning and it was all gone? Fortunately, you don't have to worry about it. Jimmy Kimmel tells us what happens. Mommy and I last night, we were watching uh, a movie and we ate all of your candy. Here, step up. Look at, look at it again. All gone. They ate all of their Halloween candy, and there's no more left. <laughs> what happened? What? Our candy's gone! I ate it all! <laughs> I ate all your Halloween candy. I ate all your Halloween candy. You're just joking. Uh, nope, I ate it all. <laughs> I ate it all. I just wanted to let you know I ate all your candy. Huh? I ate all your Halloween candy. <laughs> Don't cry. Not. My eyes are just covered. <laughs> Don't be sad. I'm not. I'm sorry I ate all your candy. My eyes are just watering. I ate all the Halloween candy. Do you still love me? Of course I do. We ate all of your Halloween candy. It's all gone. We're really sorry. Are you mad at us? No. How about tomorrow? I'll bring my bag and we'll get some more candy. Do you forgive us? Yeah. It was really yummy candy. but so funny. I love the little girl that said, we worked so hard for that candy. You say, why do you show us that? Because you see the disappointment in those kids' face when it was gone. And listen carefully, God wants you to anticipate your walk and relationship with him just the same way those kids were anticipating eating that candy the next morning when they woke up. Listen. He doesn't want you to be okay without his presence in your life. Just close your Bibles and listen to me just for two or three more minutes. God doesn't want you to be okay without his presence in your life. 
How many, how many of you remember the story of Samson? You, you know the story of Samson in the Bible? Long hair. You remember Samson and Delilah? Romeo and Juliet. Remember the song? Romeo and Juliet. Samson and Delilah. You remember the song? The strength was in his hair and he was flirting with the world and he, he let Delilah learn the strength was in his hair. That represented his relationship with God and the strength came from that. And, and he told her and she cut it off and he lost his power and walked with God. And here's what Judges says in Judges 16. And Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. God is not okay with that. God is not okay with us being okay without him. When heaven goes silent, it's because he wants to create that anticipation, that expectation in your life, God, that I'm not okay this way. I'm not okay. Quiet can mean preparation. It may mean that God is doing something great around the corner, that God's even preparing you for a storm around the corner. You get prepared. Quiet can mean condemnation, that there's something standing between you and your relationship with God, and that's not okay, and God wants you to get rid of that and take care of that, but quiet can also be a time of anticipation when God said, I'm just going quiet because I want to see if you can live without me. I want to see if you can operate with not, not unsaved if you're a Christian, but can you operate without the presence and relationship of God in your life? God went silent for 400 years. So in the 400 years that were up, there was a remnant of Israel that was begging and longing for a move of God. And sometimes God goes quiet in your life and mine. Because he just wants to see. How much do you care about and long for your relationship with him? He gives us this verse in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. That's what God wants. As a deer who's being chased by a wild animal or by hunters just longs for one cool drink by the creek side. God wants you to long for time with him, a word with him, a relationship with him just that much and sometimes he goes quiet just to see if you'll miss him. Just to see if you'll be okay when God goes quiet. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I say this and be kind? That God is quiet in your life. You say, oh, preacher, I, I think God has answered my prayers. He, he, he hasn't. The Bible is plain that, that God doesn't answer the prayers of those who don't know him as Savior. You say, well, I'm a child of God. No. Only people who know Jesus as Savior are a child of God. We're all the creation of God, but we're not all the child of God. If you want heaven to open up and God to be in relationship with you, you have to be saved first. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner and cannot save yourself. You can't work your way to heaven and be good enough to get there. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And C, you've got to confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here in just a moment, we're going to have two staff members stand here up front. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. 
For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.